All right, hello everyone. Masechet Pesachim, Daf Sadi, 90, we're going to be studying. Um, but the, uh, the presentation of the suya is a little bit confusing. It's kind of a little out of order. Uh, so we're going to try to make some, uh, some sense out of the disorder. Uh, but the content isn't really that complex. So we should be okay. Uh, all right, we're discussing this Baraita, which we read yesterday. But let's review because this will be the main topic. Uh, it says, The general rule is, not forget Korban Pesach for a second. The general rule is that, let's say I have money, I have $100, and I say, I am designating this $100. I'm going to use it to buy a Korban, all right, to buy an animal for a Korban. Um, in that case, uh, if I go and buy the korban, then let's say it's a regular animal. And so um, if so, the uh, the farmer, the shepherd takes the money and then the kiddusha transfers from the money to the animal. And so now he can use that money for whatever he wants, right? He can go buy a car with it. And um, the and now the animal is is uh, kadosh. Okay, that's a, that's a standard case. Um, let me look at the second clause. Let's say there is an animal that is already hekdesh. It was already designated as something hekdesh. And let's say I try to sell it. That doesn't work because I can't take money that was sanctified and then buy an animal that also was sanctified, right? There's nowhere for the kiddushah to transfer to. So if I, have a, if I own a, an animal that is designated as nolah, I cannot sell it. If I try to sell it, the sale is, is null and void. And furthermore, that money actually has to now be donated to the Bet HaMikdash. So the person who tried to pur- purchase it loses out. Now, given that general rule, let's try to apply it to a Korban Pesach. How does a Pesach usually work? Well, let's say, um, let's say, Johnny, you have a, right, you want to host a Korban Pesach. So you go out and you acquire a lamb and you designate it, this will be a Korban Pesach. So now it has holiness, right? It has Kiddushah in it. I come and say, hey, you mind, I want to join your Korban Pesach and here is $10 for my share. So now this $10 is money that I already brought to Jerusalem and I said, I'm going to bring this $10 and I'm going to use it for for, uh, for Korban Pesach. So this money already had Kiddushah, and now I'm giving it to you to buy a share of an animal that also is already, already has Kiddushah. So we would expect in such a case that what this would be like, Kamocher Olato. And I can't do it. I can't transfer, I can't buy a share of animal, an animal that is already sanctified with money that is also already sanctified. There's nowhere for that sanctif- sanctification to go. Um, and so that would, uh, that's what I would expect. Yet the Braita teaches that um, uh, the $10 that I give you, even though I already sanctified the $10, and even though you already sanctified the Korban Pesach, nevertheless, when I give you that money, I get a share of the Korban, and you can pocket that money, and you can use it to buy a new car or anything that you want. So this is a special law regarding Korban Pesach. And our question is, how does this work? So... That's where Ula starts. Amar Ula, v'yitema rabi osha'ya. Efshar, yardeh haberin bablae tameh dahamileta. Says here in Israel, we cannot figure out the, this baraita. What's the mechanism? Where does the kedusha go? 
You, Johnny, you separated a lamb as Korban Pesach. So now it is Kadosh. I separated some money to buy a, to buy a share of Korban Pesach. So my money is Kadosh. How can something Kadosh apply to, transfer onto something that is already Kadosh? Right? This should, the law here should apply that. It doesn't work. And I do not apply it. And the money remains Kadosh. How can you say that the money becomes, that you acquire, becomes chulin? That is Ula's major question. Okay, we're going to answer it with two answers. Um, and so here I'm just going to summarize the answer that the Gemara says is a bit long-winded and out of order. Uh, but if we understand the answer to coming in, then we should be able to make sense of it easily. Uh, the answer is going to base, be based on something that Rabbi says, Rabbi Udanasi. Um, he's talking about, uh, his, there's a Braita that quotes Rabbi, uh, talking about Korban Pesach. And he says that money received for Korban Pesach, you can use for whatever you want. Okay, you can buy a car with it. it it's, uh, it's, not, it's not holy money. That's what he said. And analyzing that statement of Rabbi, so that really Rabbi is the equivalent of the Braita that we just quoted. So analyzing that, there were two explanations. Abaye, the later Amora says, the money receives limited sanctification to begin with. When I at home say, I'm going to take this $10 and I'm going to use it for, for Korban Pesach, I am sanctifying it as true, but only in a limited way, because I know I'm going to give it to someone who already has an animal that's sanctified. So I can't use it for anything else, but it doesn't have full sanctification. And therefore, when I give it to you, that it becomes chulim. So Abaye, that's how Abaye explains the mechanism. It's not like a usual case where I take money, I say, I'm going to buy an ola, because then I'm going to, I expect I'm going to buy a, an animal that is not consecrated, and so the money will, the, the kedushah will transfer. So he limits it on that end. Rabbi Oshaya, who's actually an earlier uh, Amora, a direct student of Rabbi Udanasi, he says, no, it's the lamb that receives limited sanctification. When you acquire that lamb and say it's going to be a Korban Pesach, you're not fully sanctifying it. You can't use it for anything else, right? You can't just go and, and make lamb chops out of it. Um, but you know that you're going to share it with other people. And therefore, some of the ownership is going to transfer to those other people, and they're going to pay you. So you have in mind that its sanctification is limited, and that's why the sanctification can transfer from the fully sanctified money to your animal and the, therefore, the money can become de-sanctified. But is the purpose of the sanctification the same? So it's, it's it, I don't mm -hmm. understand that. Yeah, it's more like it's a designation. You're designating that the animal will be Korban Pesach, but you're not giving the, the full level of Kiddushah that would normally apply to a Korban just yet. Because right? you're like a fractional ownership of it. Yeah. So like you can't, it's like you can't use it for anything else. It's kind of maybe as, as an analogy, you, when you do Kiddushin with a woman, so she cannot marry anybody else, but you're not yet married. Right. And then you do Nisuin and then that completes the bond. All right. So regarding Korban Pesach, because it's a shared Korban and you know, you're going to go through this process, this might change hands <laughs> and different people. Uh, so that's how it works. So that's basically it. Abayez says, there's a limited sanctification on the money. That's how the money, the kiddushah of the money can leave. The Biyashah says the limited sanctification on the lamb. And that's why whatever was on the money can transfer onto the lamb. And then the money can be used uh, fully. Uh, that's the two answers. Abaye 
likes his answer at first, when he hears about Rabbi Oshaya's answer, then he changes his mind and he actually likes Rabbi Oshaya. So that's what we're going to end with. All right, now let's let's look at the Talmud. Um, the first page here of 90a um, already assumes that you know a Mishnah and what Rabbi Oshaya said. But, so it gives a whole uh, argument and then quotes the sources later. So that makes it very difficult to understand if you read it in order. What I'd like to do is skip this page right now, start with the next page, 154 in the Steinjel tradition, and then once we see the sources, we'll go back to page 153 and everything should be clear. So we say, What is the statement that Rabbi Oshaya actually said? Right? What is the Mishnah that he quoted and that he commented on? Ditnan. There's a Mishnah in Masechet Temura that says, Natan la mukdashim be'et nana lo hare elu mutarim. Um, so the, there's a Pasuk that says, Lo tevi et nan zona. One may not bring a, 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 a payment to a harlot to the Bet HaMikdash. All right, so the basic, the basic Pasuk is that if I want to bring, if I take, if I have an animal and let's say not me, someone went to visit a prostitute and paid her with, with a, uh, with a lamb, right? That lamb, since it was used as payment for a prostitute may never be used for a korban. You cannot sanctify it. And the reason that the Torah says this is because um, in the ancient world, the uh, prostitution and temple cult uh, cult were actually often intertwined. Uh, the, uh, paganism, pagan rituals had these um, uh, uh, the rites for um, reproductive, uh, you know, luck, and so that involved all these kinds of crazy things. The Torah wants us to keep away from that completely, right? So these are all prohibited. And if you try to bring a sanctified animal and use it. And, you know, use it for, if you try to bring an animal that was used for a payment of a prostitute, then you can never use it for something holy. That's what the Pasuk says. And that makes a lot of sense. But now, what if this is the case? What if I had an animal, regular animal that I made, I consecrated. I said, this will be a, this will be a korban. And afterwards, someone uses it to pay a zona. Now, does it lose its sanctification or not? The Mishnah says, it's okay, right? As we said, when something is, becomes kadosh, it belongs to the Bet HaMikdash. So I can't really even transfer it. I can't sell it to anyone. So the fact that I gave it to the zona is not an actual payment. It's nothing, right? It's null and void. And so it does not lose its kedusha, and it can be continued. We can continue to use it as a korban. The pasuk only applies when it's an unconsecrated animal that's given to a zona. Good. That's part one of the Mishnah. Then it says, If it's a bird, however, and uh, the bird is given to a zona, then that bird may not be used as a korban. Now, why do I have to say this, uh, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be obvious that this would be included? I might have thought that there's a bahem Regarding um, sanctified animals, if there is a blemish in the animal, then it's no good. Invalid becomes invalid. And yet, um, because it's a sanctified animal, it can be given to a zona, and that the law of zona would not apply to it because it's already sanctified. 
Ofot, she'en hamum posel bahem, the general law regarding birds is that a mum, if it has just a wart or something, is not, that's not a problem for birds. And a bird, only if it's missing a wing, a whole limb, then it's not good. But small blemishes in the birds do not invalidate them. So therefore, you see, birds, we are more lenient about them. So, then all the more so, I would assume that the law of zona does not apply to birds. And so even if I took just a regular bird and someone gave it to a zona's payment, it could still be used as a sacrifice. That's what I would have thought based on the Kavachomer. The continuation of the Pasuk regarding, uh, um, regarding Zona says, you cannot use it for any vow. What does that come to include? So therefore, a bird also uh, can, that was used, that was given to a Zona, cannot be, um, <coughs> cannot be used. Um, okay, and that's why. All right, that is the end of the Mishnah. Now, the Gemara has a Braita that says, We could actually turn this around the other way. Uh, since that bir- birds uh, do not have the law of a blemish, does not apply to them, a blemish bird can be sacrificed, and, and yet, the law of a zona does apply to them. If I give the bird to a zona, then it cannot be used. Then animals that were made hektesh already and uh, where the laws of blemishes do apply. So wouldn't it be all the more so? I would think that if it's given to a harlot, then it would be a problem. And so according to this, it would be the opposite of what the Mishnah taught. Uh, that some an animal that was already sanctified and then give it to a harlot would be not good. That's what I would have thought based on the Kava Chomer. That's why the Pasu comes in and says, So it cannot be used for any neder, but that will exclude something that was already uh, promised, was already sanctified, then it does. Then the law does not apply. Okay, that's what the Braita says. Now we're going to analyze that Braita. So do you see the only reason for the law in our Mishnah that a sanctified animal uh, can be given to a zona and still sacrificed is because of the extra word neder. So without that word, that I would have I would have understood. The would be that even sanctified animals, the law of not giving it to a zona does apply to them. And if I took a sanctified animal and I gave it to a zona, then it would still be, it would be prohibited to use it as a sacrifice. So this is a long uh, way of presenting the following question. Wait a second. I thought that the general rule is of something that is not mine, I cannot, I cannot give over to a zona and will not become prohibited. Just like if I take an ola and try to sell it, doesn't work. I can't sell it because it doesn't belong to me, right? It belongs to Hekdesh. So too, I thought that um, even without the this extra extra word, right? Why do I need that extra word? It just seems logical that uh, an animal that was already Hekdesh does not belong to me, belongs to the Beta Mikdash. And therefore, even if I try to give it to, the, to a zona, it won't work. Right, and uh, therefore it should never, never be prohibited. So that is the question: Why do I need that extra word to teach me this law? I would have known it simply logically. 
Okay, this whole problem is actually kind of equivalent to the Korban Pesach problem, where also we have something that is Hekdesh, and yet somehow the transfer of money works. As so to here, it's something Hekdesh, and yet somehow the transfer to the zona works and makes it prohibited, if not for the Pasuk. So that's the question that Rabbi Oshaya is uh, responding to. Oh, this whole Mishnah, right, and discussion we had are not talking about a regular animal. This is talking about Korban Pesach. And here's what happens. Someone goes and visits a zona, And then he pays her, not by giving her a whole animal, but saying, hey, you can be, you can have a share in my Korban Pesach. Okay, this is, I guess, a religious zona, right? She wants to eat Korban Pesach uh, together. Um, so in such a case, it's, that's how it works because it's specific to Korban Pesach and Korban Pesach has this uh, ability that it has a monetary value. Even though I made the Korban Pesach, I designated it already, already and so it's a, it's a Hekdesh, and yet I can give you, I can sell you, a share in it and take the money. And so, so to here, the person can give a share to the zona, and that is in fact considered a transfer of value, and that makes the makes it pasul. It would make the Koban Pesach pasul if not for the Pasuk. And so that's how to be a Shaya answers that question. And all in all this, he's following the statement of Rabbi. What might it be? What did Rabbi say? Here is what he said. This is Tanakama, not Rabbi. Um, Tanakama says that the word mihiyot, we're reading the he as if it's a chet. Um, that the person that owns the, the, uh, the, the lamb, right? He separated it and he's offering it to others. He can live off the se. So that replies only to, to using the money for eating, but not to buying anything else, which means, right, again, Johnny, you went and you bought a sack, you bought a, a lamb for $100, and you, now you say, hey, anyone can come and join, right? So if I give you $10 to, to buy a share, you can use that $10 only for the meal, but not to buy a car. That's the Tanakama. Uh, so it's really not totally, totally fungible money, right? The money retains some level of holiness. Rabbi Omer, af mikedem mikach. He says, no, you can buy anything you want, right? You can purchase, even if it has nothing to do with the meal. Shame en lo, mamne acher imo al pischo val chagigato, umaot shebiado holin, she al menat ken, igdishu Yisrael et pischahem. Why? Because if he doesn't have enough money, right? So he'll go and register other people with him. So kind of like when you designated the animal, you had that mind on condition that I don't, I can't afford this whole thing. I can't even eat this whole thing myself anyway. So when you sanctify it, you do it on condition that when people give you money, they will get a share and I will keep the money for myself just to help pay my expenses of buying it. That's what the bee said regarding Korban Pesach. Um, now, so you see that Rabbi Oshaya, he, he uses the Korban Pesach to answer the question up there, right, regarding the Mishnah. How could it be that the Mishnah would assume, that not the Mishnah, the Mishnah and the Gemara after it, the Brayta and the Gemara after it would say that if not for the Pasuk, um, I would assume that 
a hekdesh animal would become prohibited by giving it to a zona, but there's no transfer of ownership at all. The Beosheya says there is a transfer of ownership because that case was talking about Korban Pesach, and you see the B says that regarding Korban Pesach, even though even though you already made it hekdesh, there is still transfer of ownership, and that's why the money transfers to you and the the holiness of the money transfers to the lamb and you can use the money for anything. And so that's how he answers the question. Okay, regarding this machloket, between Tanakama and the B, there are two interpretations of what it applies to. Um, one of these opinions says, if, if you're talking about wood to burn, to make a barbecue, to prepare the Koban Pesach, everybody would agree that that's a proper usage of the, of the $10 that I gave you, right? Because if it's holy money, it's uh, holy and you're using it for the Koban Pesach. So that's good. Since it's helping out the Koban Pesach, so it's like the Koban Pesach itself. It's the same level of uh, usage of holiness. But they would argue regarding other things that you're gonna eat during the meal, like Masan Maror, the banan the rabbis say that no, you cannot use it for, for anything else, only for Korban Pesach. This is something else. This is other things that you need to eat, but they're not actual Korban Pesach, so it doesn't have the holiness of Korban Pesach. And Rabbi says, since it's also, it's needed to eat with, right? These are the, uh, you make a sandwich and uh, these uh, uh, with the masa and the maror, so they're needed with to eat with the lamb. So yes, it is in fact like the body of the lamb, and so you can use it for masa maror. That's a restrictive interpretation. Another interpretation: the chadamad be masa maror name kule amala pelige. Now, actually, all both opinions, the Tanakama and the B, say that you can use the money to buy masa and maror. Tichtiv al masot omorim yocheluhu. Pesuk says you have to eat it all together in a big shawarma sandwich with the lettuce inside. And so since therefore they are required for, to help with the mitzvah of Pesach, they are like the Pesach. And everyone would say you can use the money for that. But what if you want to buy a, a, a new coat? Right? To, buy, uh, to buy a garment, uh, a garment or right, a cloth. Um, a cloak. The Tanakhama says, no, you cannot do that. You have to use it for right, to sustain yourself from the lamb. It has to help with the meal, uh, with the Pesach meal itself. No, you can even make money on the deal and you can sustain yourself from the lamb. So whatever your needs are, you can use the proceeds of your partial sale of the Pesach for whatever it is that you need. So we see here again that Rabbi says the money becomes chulin. It's usable for no, no matter what, for whatever you want. All right, now that we have this Rabbi, I'm gonna go back. There is another little section here before the Mishnah, um, but this is only understandable when we uh, go back to page 153. All right, this is fun, yeah? Um, this is like a choose your own adventure. You remember, you know, go back and forth in, in the book. Amar Abaye. I love the Okmer B. Oshaya, Lehahi, Bemamne Zona al Pischov, the Bihi. If not, that I now I learned that the B. Oshaya interpreted the Mishnah in Timura 
according that that he said that the whole case is talking about that a korban pesach and the person who visits the zona pays her with a share of the korban pesach and it follows the opinion of Rabbi. and that's how they explained the whole situation uh, there. If before I learned all that, I had a different explanation of that Mishnah. Now that I heard that, I actually like that explanation. But here's what he said, here's what he thought beforehand. I had assumed, I would have assumed that the Mishnah is talking about a lower level uh, korbanot. Um, uh, that, you know, the kind of korbanot that you can eat anywhere in Jerusalem. And I was following the opinion of Biyosei who said, Kadashim Kalim, like a Shilamim, I own it, right? Even though it is, it is a sacrifice and has limitations, but I eat most of it and I actually own it. And that's why uh, that would explain that whole uh, uh, the, that whole thing there with the Mishnah and the Braita and the Kavachomer, um, where it would have it would have been talking about a case where it was Kadashim Kalim, where I do own ownership, and even though it's sanctified already, if I would give that to a zona, um, in that case, since I have ownership, so the ownership would would transfer to the zona, and it would become uh, pasul even though it was already sanctified. And that's why we needed the extra word, lechol neder, to teach me that even in such a case, it's permitted because it's already sanctified. So I had an answer to that question. And in, in that case, well, how would it work in, in, uh, uh, for Pesach, right? Aval Pesach, la meshayed inish, bemaot, vaday meshayed inish. But, but I, and I explained the whole mechanism for Korban Pesach in a different way. Um, regarding the Korban Pesach, uh, the person does not restrict its consecration. So when you buy the Korban Pesach, it has 100% consecration. But when I designate the money and I say, I'm going to use this $10 for Korban Pesach, I have in mind a limited consecration because I know it's going to be transferred to someone that already has a consecrated animal. And so that's how I explained the the um, that's how explained our Baraita here in Pesachim. When I take that money, I have intention that I will transfer it to you, and then you will be desanctified. You can use it for whatever for whatever you want. I was also following the assumption of Rabbi because Rabbi says. Um, uh, and I explained it to be in this way. And this is the reason that the B says you can use the money to buy a car, to buy a cloak, whatever you want, because the money that is in your hands are chulin, because although when you designated the Pesach, you designated it fully, when I designated the money, I did not designate it with full, uh, with full kedusha. And the fact that Rabbi Oshaya um, understood the Mishnah, that the Mishnah in Timurah was following Rabbi, I did not say, I did not say so. That, why did I, I not agree with him? Because it's a bit repetitive. Uh, because a person does not limit his sanctification when he makes the Koban Pesach, but when he designates money, he does. When he first designates the money, he knows that he's going to use it to buy Koban Pesach and it will become Chulin. 
but now I realize that my previous answer was wrong, and I cannot assume that the Mishnah Temura is following Rabbi Yoseh, because there's a Baraita in that regard that's with regarding Rabbi Yoseh that says, even Rabbi Yoseh would agree that someone who tries to sell an Ola which is Kodesh Kadashim, Ushlamab, which is Kadashim Kalim, and yet I cannot sell it. So you see, even though even the B Yose agrees that although it's my ownership, I cannot sell it. I cannot transfer it over. And so therefore, even Kadashim Kalim, if one would try to give it to a zona, it actually would not work. And so that my my previous answer was not work. Did, did not work. So now I realize that and now that I agree and establish that Mishnah according to the Biyoshaya, and that the Mishnah is talking about a case where someone pays the Zona by allowing the Zona to join in his Korban Pesach, and it follows the B. Now I realize that when people designate the Korban Pesach, they are limiting, restricting its consecration, knowing that other people will, in fact, join in. And so, right, that's uh, Rabbi Abaye now comes and agrees with the answer of Rabbi Oshaya. All right, this whole page, uh, the style here is very unusual, I think you'll agree, in this repetition and the way it's explaining things. Um, so, you know, I wonder just how this was transmitted and placed here. Uh, because it seems to be a different, some, something different about this than a standard Talmud. All right, but now that we have that, um, now I'm skipping back to where we left off, uh, where we just asked one more question of clarification. Right, Abaye's opening words where he said, if not that now that now I know that Rabbi uh, Oshaya assumed and explained that Mishnah that's talking about the person paid the zona with his korban pesach, uh, a share in his korban pesach, and it follows Rabbi. When before, had I not known that, I had explained the Mishnah that's talking about Kadashim Kalim, Kadashim Kalim, Mamon Ba'alimhu, Inish. Um, I explained that that was talking about according to the Biosegalili, and he says uh, Kodashim Kalim um, are the ownership of the uh, the, uh, the ownership of the person who's bringing the sacrifice. But in general, Pesachban uh, Pesach, a person designates it fully with one hundred percent, and it's just the money that's limited. Hold on, the Braita says explicitly that it's on condition that the, the, the reason why the money that's transferred become, becomes Hulin is because when people designate their Pisrehen, it's only on condition that they will be able to accept money that is Kodesh and transfer that Kiddushah onto the Pesach. So you see even the language of the Braita suggests the, the uh, explanation of Rabbi Oshaya and not the explanation, explanation that Abaye originally had. 
uh, we can answer, we can still, we could have fit in, uh, fit Abayez's explanation into this Baraita. And it says that Pischen, it means the money that I was going to designate to Pesach was, it was limited. So he had, he could have explained it that way. In the end, he doesn't like the explanation because the Biyoseh, he realized, doesn't work as an answer. And so now Abayez came along and he finally agrees. All right. So uh, to sum up, we explained this this uh, this mechanism of how this works. That holy money can be transferred to a holy korban pesach, and yet the owner of the pesach can pocket the money because um, when he designated the korban pesach, it was a limited designation, but didn't have full kedusha yet. And so, as people pay, it kind of fills up the uh, the the kedusha. Uh, the Kedusha level. All right, and that concludes the discussion of that Mishnah. And now we go to a, um, a new topic, uh, which uh, should be a lot easier. Zav, shochatin alav A male uh, who saw an unusual um, uh, emission. Um, he becomes Tameh. If, if he sees two days in a row, then he's Tameh for seven days. And uh, he doesn't have to bring a korban because he only saw it twice. So if his seventh day happens to be the 14th of Nisan, then he can, someone can offer a korban Pesach on his behalf, right? He'll pay in. He can't touch it or anything because he's tameh during the seventh. But since he all he'll have to do is go to the mikveh and then he'll be tahor at night, he will be able to eat it. So that's good enough. So even though he's just almost tahor, it's he's potentially tahor at night. Um, that's that's fine. If Azav saw the in a mission three days in a row, then he becomes the highest level Zav, and he's tameh for seven days, and then has to bring a korban on the eighth day. So his seventh day would not be sufficient because he cannot eat from korban Pesach until after he brings his korban. So, but if his, his eighth day was the 14th of Nisan, then we can assume that he will bring his korban Pesach and then at night he will be able to eat the korban, um, eat the korban Pesach. He can bring his korban for Zav and then at night he can eat the korban Pesach. So therefore we can do, uh, he can join in to a korban as long as it's the last day of whatever his, his requirements are. Now we apply the same thing to a female. If she sees an emission of blood um, not at the usual time of her period, then she is called a zava. If she sees one day or two days, all she needs to do is wait for one clean day. So if that, if the 14th of, the, of Nisan is her second day or whatever day after she saw once, then um, all she has to do is go to the mikveh during the day. As soon as nightfall comes, she will be permitted to eat. Therefore, we can slaughter a korban Pesach for her. If she saw blood for two days in a row, then she still only has to wait one clean day. That's the difference between the male and the female. The, the two days in a row is a lot more lenient for a female. Then the, she saw two days. If the third day um, is, is the 14th of Nisan, again, all she would have to do is go to the mikveh. She's fine at night. And so therefore, we can prepare Korban Pesach on her behalf. If she's Zavah Gedola, meaning she saw for three days, 
then she becomes Tameh for seven days and she has to bring a Korban Hatat on the eighth day. If the 14th of Nisan was her eighth day, then we can assume that she will bring the Korban on, the, on, the eighth, on, that, for on that day, on her eighth, which is the 14th of Nisan, and she'll be totally fine to eat it on, uh, at night. And so you go, Zav and Zava, right? As long as they become pure, totally purified by the night, by nightfall of the 15th, they can join in Korban Pesach. That's the Mishnah. Gemara, Amarav Yehuda Amarav, Shochatin vezorekin al tevul yom um chusar kipurim. Rav makes a more general statement that you can prepare Korban Pesach, both Shechita and Zirika, for anyone who is tevul yom, which means the person went to the mikveh, they were tameh, they went to the mikveh already, for example, uh, the, the ones above, like Azav and Zava, or someone who touched the Sheretz in the morning and went to the mikveh. All they knew to do, need to do is wait till nightfall. So anyone in that situation, they can join in. Or mechusar kipurim, that's the, the zav and zava, for the, they need the full seven days, as long as they went to the mikveh, mikveh on the seventh day, and on the eighth day, all they knew to need to bring is their korban hatat. Um, that if that eighth day is the 15th, we can prepare korban Pesach for them. However, here's the first chumrah we have. If someone touched a dead rat in the morning of uh, the 15th and 14th, and they did not go to the mikveh, then we may not prepare Korban Pesach for them, right? That has to be that the only thing that they're missing is nightfall. If they still have to go to the mikveh, we don't, we're not sure if they're really going to go or not. So that they're missing a step. And so we cannot do it for them. That's Rav's opinion. Ola is more lenient and he said, even if you just touched a rat and you're going to need to go, will need to go to a, to a mikveh and haven't done it yet and you're still waiting and you're waiting for last minute for some reason and 3 p.m. comes around and they're, and they're making the Pesach for you, that's fine, you can join in, go to the mikveh later and then at nightfall you'll be able to join in. Okay, um, and now we're going to ask a series of questions to Rav. Le Rav, what's the difference if, he, if this person who touched a dead rat in the morning, what's the difference if he went to a mikveh before they prepared Korban Pesach for him or after Korban Pesach for him, right? If it's a Tubul Yom, he's still missing that nightfall. And Tameh also at nightfall, we assume that he's going to go to the Mikveh and then at nightfall he'll be okay. Rav responds, Mechusar Tevilah, but he didn't go to the Mikveh. He's missing two things, Mikveh and nightfall. Not good enough. We, we, ans- we ask Rav, Tevul Yom, Nameh Mechusar Ha'aleharev Shemes. Tevul Yom is missing one thing. Yeah, but he says that's is not the same. The same. Shimsha The sun sets by itself. As long if he sits there and does nothing, he will become fully tameh once sunset comes. But the person who is tameh sheretz and didn't go to the mikveh, he's got to get up and go and do something. And so it's not an automatic that he will be good. So since we're not sure if he's going to do it or not, that's why I make a distinction. Right? You can't be missing uh, an active step. You can be missing a passive step. All right, let's see if that applies, Rav. It doesn't. Because mechusar kipurim nameh ha mechusar kapara, right? Azav or zava who need, uh, who need to bring a korban on the eighth day, azava gedola. Uh, so that's an active thing to do. And yet, even before the person brings the korban on the eighth day, we nevertheless say, yeah, go ahead. You can bring the korban Pesach. 
The nest, meaning the doves that he brings as, as uh, for atonement, he already has them, right? I have them right here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, right? Trust me. Um, all right, well, it's just as easily accessible for the case of Tameshedetz, right? That he has a mikveh in front of him. That's just as convenient as the guy who has the birds with him. The guy who has the birds still has to bring it to the Beit HaMikdash and do it. So what's uh, what's the difference? Because the Dilma Pasha, maybe the person, the Tameshedetz, <clears throat> will uh, will be neglectful and he will be lazy and won't go to the mikveh. Then you should have the same worry about the person has to bring the birds, that he also will be neglectful and not actually bring them. And now you brought the Korban Pesach in, uh, for someone who cannot eat it. Oh, may best be the case that the Mechusar uh, Kippurim, the reason why we permit it is because he already transferred the birds to a Betin and authorized them. Hey, uh, talking about a Betin of Kohanim and said, hey, here's my birds, you take care of it, right? When it's the right time, you bring it for me. And therefore, it's out of his hands, it will happen automatically. Whereas mikveh, you can't do that. You can't say, hey, you know, would you go to the mikveh for me? you got to go yourself. So uh, therefore, it's less sure that he will actually uh, accomplish it. Shofarot, there were these, uh, these boxes, collection boxes, that had different ones. And if you needed birds, to be atoned for, because you were a Zabra Zava, you'd put the right amount of money in the boxes. And the Kohanim, even if there was a lot of them, the Kohanim are very, very uh, uh, diligent. And they would not end the day until they gave sacrifices of birds for all the money in that box. So once you put the money in the box, once you designate, you can either designate with physical birds and give it to them, or you can put money that they will buy for you. You can trust the Kohanim that they will for sure do it. So that's that's a, that's a slam dunk, right? That's just like passive. Uh, whereas going to the mikveh is not good. All right, now this, these answers that Rav was saying, basically his answer is the reason why we don't allow a, um, a tameh sheretz is because really he could do it. But we worry that he'll be lazy and won't go to the mikveh. So he's saying that he could be, he could join a, a Pesach, as long as Rabbanan that he can't. But that contradicts something that I've said a few dafim ago. In the case where the whole community is exactly 50-50, half Tahor and half Tameh. And they're like, okay, now what do we do? And so Rav's uh, uh, suggestion was, take one person and make them Tameh Sheretz, and then there'll be more people who are Tameh than Tahor. And since the majority of the community is Tameh, Everyone can bring Korban Pesach betum'ah. That was his suggestion to do. But if he thinks that midde'oraita, someone who's tamesheretz can bring a Korban because they could go to the mikveh, they will go to the mikveh, and midde'oraita, they will go to the mikveh, and they'll be tahor at night, then it's not sufficient. Making someone tameh with tamesheretz is not good enough. It won't tip the balance because midde'oraita, the person who's Tamesh Sheretz is still actually potentially Tahor, will be Tahor at night. So the explanations that you gave before, which are only at the Rabbanan level, don't explain this statement of Rav, which, which suggests that it's a Deoraita level.
In fact, forget all these all those explanations before. Rav thinks that it's actually a law that someone who touched a dead rat in the morning may not bring korban pesach. The pasuk regarding pesach sheni says if someone is tameh to a dead body, corpse tumah, that person can um, does. Uh, uh, goes and does a, a Pesach Sheni. Now, what kind of case are we talking about? Is it not that it's the seventh day of from, uh, this is the seventh day since he touched the corpse, is this is the 14th of Pesach. And that's the same same law, or it's the same category as Tameh because both of them simply have to Go to the mikveh. Well, someone who's tamemet has to get sprinkled, right? And then it becomes tameh uh, at night. And so too, someone that's uh, tameh shedis just goes to the mikveh and he's okay at night. And yet the Torah says he cannot perform korban pesach on Nisan. He has to do it on the second uh, the second pesach. So you see that according to Rav, the tameh shedis is the same as the tamemet on the seventh day, and neither of them are allowed to do Karban Pesach in Nisan. Now, if you're wondering, um, how, do we, how do we know that this is so? Right? How do you know that this Pasuk regarding Pesach Shani was talking about a Tamehmet on the seventh day? Maybe it's just someone who just became Tameh two days before. Right? Who said it's the seventh day and therefore and that's equivalent to, to Tameh Shedetz? Sabar la kerebi Yitzchak, damar Tameh Mitzvah Hayu. Uh, he's following the interpretation of Rabbi Yitzchak, and that who said that when those people came to Moshe Rabbeinu and presented the problem, it just so happened to be that they were Tamehmet of the seventh day. And how does he know that? They couldn't do Korban Pesach on that day. Only on that day they couldn't uh, couldn't do it. But the next day, if they waited one more day, they could have done it. That's why he says on that day. So that's how he proves that in fact those were people that were tamehmet on their seventh day, and yet they weren't allowed to do it. So too tamehsheretz may not do it, and that is Rav's source. It's actually mi de oraita. All right, that concludes that section, and now we go to the next section of the um, of the Mishnah Tenan. Zav shochatin alav Right, a male who saw this emission two days in a row, he requires to wait seven days. He doesn't have to bring korban. My lav de la tebil shochatin vezorekin al Wait, so isn't this is this not the case where he didn't do tevila yet, and yet uh, we, yet he, he's allowed to do it? There's actually a question on Rav um, because he, this person would be equivalent a Zav on the seventh day who did not go to a mikveh is the same as a Tameh Sheretz who didn't go to the mikveh, um, and yet it says the Zav you can go and uh, prepare Kaman Pesach for him. So to to be for, to be to be true for Tameh Sheretz, la ditbil Rav can say no, he uh, he did immerse. Uh, if, that, if so, then why is the Mishnah need to teach us this whole case? It's teaching you that even though it's still during the day and this Zav will not become 
totally pure until nightfall. Nevertheless, um, since that happens automatically, that we can consider it a fine and someone can bring Korban Pesach on his behalf and then he can eat at nightfall. And actually this is a good reading of the Mishnah, because the next clause says, if a male sees three days in a row, so we, uh, right, on the eighth day is the 14th, he can bring Korban Pesach on his behalf. If you assume that the previous clause, which was when he saw two, that and he can bring it on the seventh day, that that's a case where he had already gone to the mikveh, and that's how Rav wanted to explain it, then I, I would need the third case as well to teach me something else. I might have thought, only the person, the Zav on the seventh day, uh, the Zav who saw twice on the seventh day can bring because he doesn't have to do anything. He sits passively and the sun will set on its own. I might have thought though that if the, someone saw three days in a row and he has to actually bring korbanot, he has to do something actively, I might have thought that no, no good. And he cannot bring a korban Pesach. That's why I need the next clause of the Mishnah to say, yes, even in that case, it's permitted. But if you think, which you said in your question, Tarav, that someone who saw for two days and on the seventh, even before he went to the mikveh, and you, you can bring a korban for him, then that's mechusar ma'aseh. So then that will be the same as someone who saw three days in a row who also did not bring the korban, which is mechusar ma'aseh. And that's the same case. So I wouldn't need the, the, the third one to teach me that that's allowed. It's the same as the second, um, as the person who saw for two days. If someone who saw two days in a row and on the seventh before he brought Korban, he's totally Tameh, right? 100% Tameh before he goes to the Mikveh. And yet we can bring Korban Pesach for him. Then someone who saw three days in a row on the eighth day, um, and, and he already went to the Mikveh on the seventh day, and now he has a very low level of Tum'ah. Right, that person really, for most things, he for most purposes, he's tahor. He just can't have korbanot yet. Uh, I would know for sure that he would be allowed. So, if according to your assumption, I would not need the third case at all. Right, so, therefore, we can conclude that the um, the case in the Mishnah that you saw twi- two days in a row, and now the seventh day, his seventh day is the fourteenth we can uh, bring Korban Pesach for him. That's talking about a case, in fact, where he already went to the mikveh. All right. Law, uh, however, Wait, we're going to try to revive the question again. Maybe he didn't go to the mikveh. And I still need the last clause. Uh, so I might have thought, no, there is a chidush that um, on the seventh day, the reason why it's permitted because it's only up to him to go to the mikveh. No one's stopping him. He doesn't need a partner, right, to, to help him go to the mikveh. So it's totally up to him. And so, uh, like, for sure he'll do it, right? We assume that he'll do it. 
But on the eighth day, where it's not up to him to bring the Qurban, he can bring it, but he needs the Kohanim to follow through. And maybe the Kohanim will be negligent and not do it for him. So there's more of a reason to think that he, it might not happen on the eighth day. And that's why the Mishnah has to bring a Chidush. Uh, that is, in fact, uh, that uh, even, even in, the, on that, in that case, he can bring Qurban Pesach. So Kamash Malan Kedirab Shemaya. Oh, so that's why we go back to Rav Shemaya, who we already quoted before, and he said there's a chazaka. We can assume that the Kohanim will always do their job. You don't have to worry about that. That's a lock. And so as long as you do your job and bring the bring the money or the doves, they will do their job. And so really in the end, the case of uh, the uh, the eighth day is easier to argue than the case of the seventh day. And so really, if it was before he went to the mikvah on the seventh day, we wouldn't need the last case. And so we justified Rav, right? Rav can explain the Mishnah um, according to his opinion, that's only after you went to the mikveh, then you could bring Korban Pesach. But someone who's Tameh and they didn't go to the mikveh, no, they cannot bring Korban Pesach. All right, last section of the Mishnah, Bazava Shohatin, right? The, uh, uh, a woman uh, who became Zava, Zavagedola, uh, she saw three days in a row. She can bring Korban Pesach if it's her eighth day. Right, one of the professional reciters, memorizes, memorizers, recited this following Baraita before Rav Ada. Zava can do Shechita on her seventh day. Hold on, on her seventh day, can she really bring it? So even according to the opinion that says you could bring, this was Ula who said that someone who became Tameh Sheretz and they didn't go to the Mikveh yet, they're allowed to bring a, the Korban Pesach. That's only because it was Tameh Sheretz, because Tameh Sheretz will be okay when it comes to the night time. But this person, right, she's talking, he's talking about, in this Baraita, he's talking about a Zava Gedola, who needs to bring a Korban on the eighth day. And he said, on the seventh day, they can bring Korban Pesach. This doesn't make any sense, because a Zava Gedola cannot, even when it becomes nightfall on the seventh, still cannot eat Korban Pesach, not until the next day after they bring their Korban, their, their doves, at night after that, then they could bring Korban Pesach. So this is this this to this baraita is impossible. So he corrects him. Emma Bashimini. Memorizer, change the word. You memorized it as Zava Bashiviri. No, no, wrong. Cross that out. Say Zava Bashimini. That's the correct one. All right. So now this makes sense, right? Zava Gedola, if it's her eighth day, and all she has to do is bring her Korban Hatat then that's fine. Then at night she'll be okay and she can eat it. That's what the Mishnah says. All right, so we solved the problem and now it's a correct law, but now we go to the opposite problem, Pishita. Now it's obvious, right? It's true, but it's obvious. Why do we need to taste? We need a, need a Baraita that tells us the same thing as the, as the Mishnah. No, I might've thought since he is in fact lacking atonement, she has to go through this whole process. Who knows if she's going to, she's going to do it? So, so we rely on Rav, Shem, uh, Rav Shemaya, as we said before, that we know that the Kohanim will make sure to prepare her korbanot, and that's fine. 
Okay, so that was one end, one way of resolving this baraita. Davina has a second way. I'm just till the end of this page. Davina says, Amar nida tana le nida tana kame vehanida shohatin aleha ba shevi. So he says, change the word zava in your baraita memorizer and change it to nida. A nida. Um, who is her seventh day, she can bring, right? Nida has to wait seven clean days. And then she's then she goes to the mikveh at night. So uh, Zava, she can bring on, if it's her seventh day, her last day of counting, she can uh, bring a korban and then she uh, will be okay at night. So that's what he says. Now, this is a problem. Hold on. And Nida is not, is not permitted. She does not become purified on her seventh day. Even Ola, who says that someone who became, who touched a rat, he goes to the mikveh. He can go to the mikveh during the day, it's permitted. And then at night, they'll be totally fine. But Nida le'orta de shibi'i hu de tavla. But there's a law for Anida, unlike a Zava who can, who can dip on the seventh day during the day and then wait till night, since Anida needs seven full clean days, so she has to actually wait till the nighttime. Uh, the, the night would be the night of the 15th to go to the mikveh, and then she has to wait for a sunset after that. So Anida would not be ready until the eighth day. Um, so you know what? Now you have to amend it and say, not the seventh, but the eighth. So this now requires two emendations, Nida and Shemini. Um, okay, so now we, we amended it twice. Pishita, now that we did that, isn't this obvious? If a Zava or someone who, who, who does not, who did not bring their Korbanot, they could do it on the eighth day. Nida de la mechasera kapara. Nida who does not have to bring any korbanot. Right, this is a much more obvious case. So the Mishnah gave us a more difficult case. Why would you ever have to teach us this? Nida is tedichale hakamash malan b'shemini in b'shebi'ila. It's actually to teach us a law about Nida itself that it's only on her eighth day that it will be permitted. On the seventh day, it's not permitted. Kedetanya kol chayavet tevilot tevilatan bayom. For all people who are Tameh, they can go to the mikveh during the day and then they'll be fully pure at night to eat Kodashim. Except for Nida and someone who, who gave childbirth, they have to have a full counting of days and so they can only uh, go, at, uh, go to the mikveh at night. We learned this law that Nida has to go at night from, uh, from here. Can it be that, uh, that Nida can go and to the mikveh during the day? No, says Shivatimim, for seven full days, she has to, has to remain in her Nida status. Um, and so she has to be in that status all for seven days. That's why she can only go at night. And Yoledit is similar to Nida. And so that's why she has the same law. So we were able to amend that Baraita to apply to Nida, and that would make sense. Okay, this is, applies to Halakha Lama'aseh, because even nowadays, right, Nida always waits till the nighttime afterwards. And it's only in very rare circumstances when there's a pressing need, if it's very cold at night, Friday night, things like that, 
um, in which um, we can we uh, are lenient uh, for for the nida. Um, so actually, now nowadays we're machmir both ways. We assume women today are both zava and nida. So zava, that's why she has to wait uh, seven clean days, right? She has to wait. Uh, some days beforehand to start, she can't start counting on the day of her period, but rather has to wait till she's clean. Only then can she start counting the seven clean days. That's the law of Zava. Yet she does not have the leniency of a Zava because Zava can dunk during the day and then wait till, till night. So she has to wait the seven clean days like a Zava and wait till nighttime like a uh, Nida.